Well, hello, church family. If you have your Bibles, uh, please turn it over to Nehemiah chapter 2. We are going to go through this entire book, uh, one verse and one chapter at a time. And as we go through this book, or this chapter in particular, I have a question for you that's just going to help drive us throughout this entire um, study through this chapter is, do you expect God to do great things in your life? Now, I know that sounds like I'm going to pitch to you some sort of magical potion like what the Charismatics do, but unfortunately, the Charismatics, uh, because of the way that they use language and the way that they um, lie about who, the character and attribute of God, it makes it hard for some of us that are in the Reform camp to believe that God can do great things in our lives. Um, Charismatics, unfortunately, made God doing miraculous things and... Um, very uh, great things that's just hard to believe. Um, so we tend to be, especially in our uh, reform circle, we tend to kind of like to stay um, conservative in the sense of not really going all out on things. Uh, we believe that God can do things, but maybe not in our lives. Um, but we know that the God of, um, the, our God, is a God that does great things. And oftentimes he does great things with those who have great faith in him. And uh, it's both acting and trusting in God, working through uh, God's will uh, as we know his word and we apply um, his word in different circumstances. And the question then again is, do you expect great things from God? And if you do, how do you expect to be part of this? And I think chapter 2 is going to give us a template of how Nehemiah did just that. Um, for this week, I'm just gonna, for at least for this message today, I'm gonna go through, walk through the text like what I did before, and then I'll give it down uh, an outline and something we can think about throughout the week, and just in terms of how God can do great things in our lives. And this does apply to every area of our life, whether it's ministry, whether it's family, whether it's relationships, whatever it may be. If you want to honor the Lord and do great things for the Lord in every area of your life, Nehemiah chapter two gives us an example of that. But before we start, uh, let me open our time with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. May you work in our hearts and your mind uh, through your word. And may you fill what is lacking and regenerate our hearts uh, and regenerate our minds and renew our minds so that we can walk and live according to your word. Pray these in your son's name. Amen. Now, just a quick background of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is, uh, happens uh, several years after Ezra. And um, Nehemiah is not a priest. He is not um, uh, a prophet either. He's just a politician. He works in the um, the house inside the king's house. He's a cupbearer, which sounds like a very useless job to us, but it's actually the essentially second in command back in the Persian time. And uh, he gets news from his brother that uh, the walls and uh, everything that's basically their home town is not fixed. And although Nehemiah. Uh, was never part of the um, you know, the city before it was destroyed. He still felt a um, a connection to it because of his whole family. He's Jewish uh, by blood, and uh, his he knows that this place is is desolate, and he feels moved by the Lord to go and fix uh, the city. You have to remember that this is uh, the th uh, that his brother went during um, the second Exodus uh, with Ezra, and now this is the third time. This is really like kind of like a third wave in which uh, Nehemiah goes to go and fix, um, attempts to go fix uh, the wall. And remember, at the end of chapter one, he has no idea what 
to do. All he knows is he was moved. He felt broken by uh, the fact that his hometown is destroyed. Um, but he wants to go and, and do something about it. So he prays for four months. He does his fasting and praying and fasting and praying. And he's just constantly making intercessions for his people and praying that the Lord would be able to provide some sort of opportunity for him to do just that. So chapter 2, verse 1 picks up that story. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I, I had not been sad in, the, in his presence. Also, you have to understand in that culture, whenever there's uh, the king, is you know they, they're generally pretty ruthless. So if they sense that someone is... Uh, maybe not giving a good vibe or a buzzkill, one of the things that the kings would do would just execute the person. Uh, and he's, and, and you know, Nehemiah here is saying that he is, he's sad. He's just visibly sad. And, um, and you understand the king and Nehemiah have a good relationship. So he knows him enough to be able to say, see and discern that there's something wrong. So the king said to me, verse 2, why is your face sad though you're not sick? And I think that's funny because it's like he drank the cup and he's not sick and he knew that he was sad. So um, he's concerned for him um, because, you know, he's a cupbearer. So if he's sick and he's ill, that means there might be something wrong with the drink. Uh, but he was able to at least, he's just curious, like, what's going on? Why are you acting this way? Uh, this is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I uh, was very much afraid. So he knows the king was able to discern that he's very sad. And then Nehemiah's reaction was that he was afraid. He, he knew that, oh, man, like... He, he's afraid for a few things. He, once he, one, he's afraid because he doesn't know what the king's going to do. Uh, and second, I think he was afraid and also excited because he's, he finally sees God opening opportunity for him to be able to speak to the king what he, uh, what he wants. And around this time, the, uh, there were the, you know, the Samaritans, uh, which were enemies uh, of Jews. Remember in Ezra, the same thing. There were people that uh, wanted to be part of uh, the rebuilding of the temple, and Ezra told them, we have nothing to do with you. Um, and again, it was not ethnic reason. It was, a, it was a religious reason. So these people told the king that you can't let the um, people rebuild um, because if you do, they're going to go against you. And, and then the king made a decree that, okay, uh, then the, the Jews must stop building uh, their wall and stop, rebuild, stop be, rebuilding the city. So Nehemiah is like, okay, I'm, I need to give him, uh, I need to make a request, and his request goes against his previous decree. Uh, so he's scared because he knows that if he speaks and, and the king is not happy with it, he can get killed. This is very similar to what happened to Esther. Esther, every, when she made the request to her husband, um, it was like a life or death situation. She had no clue what the result was going to be. And same with Nehemiah here. Verse 3, I said to the king, let the king live forever. This is his way to assure that he's on the king's side. Why, would, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies desolate and, and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to God of heaven. <clears throat> so he has some really good relationship with the king to the point where he tells him, like, okay, what, what do you want? And he's like, he tells him, I want to be able to go back to fix this, my, my father's uh, hometown, the place where he's all from, where, where his people's from. Uh, and he said, okay, um, and he, 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 he prays. He does a silent prayer. And you remember last week we talked about how he, he's just constantly praying, and he prays through the attributes of God. He confesses his sin. He's thankful to the Lord, and he, he makes supplication. Now he finally gets active. The Lord provides a window of opportunity, he takes it. And before he, he makes the request, he prays again. Now, it wasn't like he, he prayed and like, 
okay, it's like not, it's not like the kings asked him, and he like walked away and then uh, came back like two hours later. This was just like a very quick prayer. He he asked him what he wanted. And he prayed very quickly to the Lord, and then verse five it says, "I said to the king." If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tomb, then I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So please the king to send me, and I gave oh, and I gave him a definite date. Now, what's really cool is that he, you know, this king has a really cool relationship with Nehemiah, and he asked him, you know, how long, when are you going to be back? He gave him a definite time, uh, and we don't, we don't see it here in this text, but just inference throughout this entire book is that Nehemiah is actually gone for 12 years. So if you can imagine that he was such a good worker to the king, that uh, the king gave him 12 years, like basically like a 12-year sabbatical to go work on his uh, little side project here. And because of some, uh, you know, God working through Nehemiah and even the king, uh, the king lets him, the king lets him go. Uh, verse 7, I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, and they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's uh, king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house for to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of God was on me. See, uh, he asked the king for not just to go there, but even for supplies, and the king gives it to him. Gives him everything he needs to go and rebuild the city. This is similar to when Ezra, when um, you know, when it happened in the same similar to the book of Ezra, when they were trying to rebuild the temple. Same idea that God um, works through the lives of his faithful saints uh, and gave them all that they need to be able to rebuild first the temple and now the, the entire city and the walls. Uh, verse 9. Then it came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent me officers of ar- of the army and horsemen. So he not only just gave him money, but he gave him security. Because, you know, the Nehemiah is an important figure. He's going to be gone for 12 years. And he figured, well, I need guys to protect him as well. So he did. He gives them a whole army to go with him. When Sanballat, uh, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Amor- Ammonite, Official heard about this. It was very displeasing to them, and someone had come to seek the well. That someone had come to seek the well-being of the sons of Israel. So these Samaritans heard about this, and they were mad. And we'll see them again later on as they oppose um, the the rebuilding of the wall. Verse eleven. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days, and I rose in the night, and in a few, and I and a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what. My God was putting into my hand to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me except the, the animal which I was riding. So I went out at night by the valley gate in the direction of the dragon's gate, dragon's well, and on the refuse gate, inspecting the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and its gates, uh, which were consumed by fire. Then I passed onto the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no place for my mount to pass. So I went up at night by by the ravine, inspected the wall. Then I entered the valley gate again and returned. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I had done, nor had I yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the official, or the rest who did the work. So Nehemiah checks this wall. He goes around the entire city to see how everything is. And um, this is a very tactful and smart way. Uh, he may have a desire to go, and God may have provided him the opportunity, but he didn't start building until he made a calculated risk. Uh, he looked at 
everything that he saw. He saw how much work needed to be done, and um, he had all the supplies, but he might need more. Um, he need, he just, he's just being a good leader here and trying to discern what the problem is so that he can offer a solution. He didn't tell everyone uh, his problems, or he didn't tell everyone his, his plans and the solution because he didn't know um, how, how bad the damages were, and he didn't want to give people false assurance of something that he cannot do. So instead of giving the people false hope, he just inspected and just, just tried to work out the problems and the, and the details in his own mind. Verse 17, And I said to them, You see the bad situation we are in, that Jerusalem is desolate and its gates burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we will no longer be a, a reproach. It's really cool because now, remember, Nehemiah was not part of that generation that was exiled from Jerusalem, but yet he sees this as his problem now. He says, it's my situation. Uh, he, uh, you see the situation that we are in. He, he takes ownership. He, he doesn't say, this is your problem, and let me help fix it. He sees it now his own. He takes ownership of it, and then it gives him a, a greater desire to go and work hard for it. And, that, and we understand that principle, right? We, we tend to do things better when we know it impacts us and if it's meaningful to us. But if it's someone else's problem, we, we might do it, may even do it with us. Uh, same amount of effort, but we're just not passionate about it. Uh, you're, you work most on what you're most passionate about. And Nehemiah was passionate for God's glory and God's um, uh, name being made known and for his people. So he said, okay, let's work on this. And he motivated the people to do the same. Um, verse 18, I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also the, about the king's word which he had spoken to me. And they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to the good work. So he was being a leader. He's being a leader, good leader in this passage here by telling them how God providentially worked through everything and brought him here with all the supplies that they need. And, um, and the people that was there, that was like, uh, you know, the other Jews saw this and they're like, okay, Let's do this. Let's work together. Um, they saw God's good hand on Nehemiah, and that must mean that things that Nehemiah is doing is going to be pleasing to the Lord. So there was a, a level of success that they could trust him because of all of God's faithfulness in the past. Verse 19, But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite officials at Gershom the Arab heard it, they mocked us and despised us and said, What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven will give us success. Therefore, we, we, his servant, will arise and build, but you have no portion, right, or memorial in Jerusalem. So you'll see throughout this book, these, uh, ne these bad guys, or the opponents, throughout um, uh, this book, is they're going to try all that they can to stop the rebuilding of the wall. And, um, and uh, we'll talk more about those individuals later on. But uh, as, we, you know, as we finish through this chapter, uh, just kind of going through a summary, uh, some applicational points that I want us to think about is how uh, do you expect God to do great things in your life? And if you do, how do you do that? How can we be part of this? And we're going to look at that this week. First, we'll, I'll give you the outline now. First is that we need to seize the opportunity. Second, we need to be, have wisdom and planning. And third, and we need to act in boldness. And I trust that if you uh, want to be used by God mightily in a very unique way to glorify Him, you will use these three principles and apply it to whatever situation you're in, and the Lord will bless you through it. And I trust that this study will be helpful for you this week. Uh, thank you for listening, and have a great day.